Electric vehicles are fundamentally different from internal combustion engine or ICE vehicles. Now, whilst the typical ICE drivetrain has over 2,000 moving parts, EV drivetrains are much simpler with about 20 moving parts. It goes without saying then that EVs have fundamentally different and one might even say much lower service requirements as compared to ICE vehicles. The after-sales business has traditionally been a very big driver of revenue and profit for automotive OEMs and indeed their dealers. Some studies estimate that the after-sales business today contributes anywhere between 7 and 10% of an OEM's revenue. And in the EV era, this is likely to drop by almost half to about 4%. Given that after-sales profit margins are also substantial, the impact on profit is likely to be even more dramatic. That said, there are a number of opportunities emerging in the after-sales business, especially as a result of connectivity now being standard on, on all of our vehicles. Does this imminent rise of EVs and the changing customer preferences require a complete re-engineering of the after-sales business? What challenges and opportunities does the age of EVs present to the after-sales business? These are some of the themes we'll be exploring in today's videocast. Now, the context of this discussion is very different for an established OEM with a large ICE vehicle park versus an EV first challenger brand with none of that legacy. And so we have eminent guests today, after-sales gurus from both sides of the spectrum. It is my pleasure to welcome our guest today. Let's start with Mark Pickles. Mark is the UK Parts and Service Director at Stellantis, and he joins us from the UK. Hello, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Are you good to be with you? We've got with us Dagliff Sikh. He's the after-sales director, Dark, at MG Motor, and he joins us from Germany. Welcome, Dagliff. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Our third guest today is Felix Serrano. Felix is Regional Vice President Europe at MSX. Uh, and Felix also joining us from UK. Welcome, Felix. Nice to have you. Thank you. Hi, everybody. And finally, my name is Jayesh Jagasia. I'm an Executive Director at MSX based here in the UK. Uh, and I'll be hosting today's discussion. So, gentlemen, without further ado, let's dive right in. My first question is marked to you. And I really want our listeners to get a sense of why the after-sales business is critical to an OEM such as yours, and what sort of big changes are you anticipating in the EV era? Okay, I think you touched on the first one, Jayesh, in terms of the, the significance of the revenue and profit stream that after-sales has traditionally brought to, to, to most OEMs, not just to the OEM, but of course to the dealer network. We, we talk about after-sales absorption, and that's a vital component, particularly where sales volumes fluctuated in, in the last couple of years with semiconductors and COVID, etc. So clearly there is a big financial impact. But I think perhaps a more fundamental one is that in many ways, the primary customer relationship with the business, particularly with the dealer, but by, by connection with the OEM is through after sales. So typically in a cycle, you visit once to buy a vehicle and return two or three or even four times to have the vehicle serviced or to have repairs. So that that interaction with the customer and, and that loyalty building over that period, we, we often talk about sales sells the first car and after sales sells the next one. That really needs to be front of mind when we think about EVs. And I think the most fundamental change we see, apart from the revenues that you touched on, and I'm, I'm sure we'll dig into that one in more detail, is the frequency of visits, the depth of those visits and the recurrence and how that will change the relationship with the customer the level of reliance the customer has on the OEM and the dealer. And, and so fundamentally, if we're going to maintain and improve that loyal relationship, we need to get this bit right 
as we transition from ice to EV. Brilliant. Douglas, how do you see this from your perspective as an, uh, I call it an EV native challenger brand? How do you see your after-sales business being important to your overall business? What's your take? Yeah. First of all, there are pros and cons. When you are a transition OEM, you still have the legacy. So you still have a a strong foundation, a strong infrastructure. You have many processes in place and you still, yes, you still have a large part of the revenues as a newcomer. Without that, it's a greenfield situation, which is good in some ways because you can start fresh without the heavy burden of isolated systems and, and stuff like that. But at the same time, in the beginning, it's there is no business. You have to build up a car park, etc. And and as you said before, it's clear the revenue changes, the revenue or the value chain is under strong pressure, especially on the dealer side, on the network side. So the only chance you have is uh, lean and as many automated processes as possible. And maybe also we've been talking about selling accessories on the after-sales side for decades. <laughs> some are listening, some are don't. But I think now with the EV future, everybody has to really take serious the accessory business and to look at these uh, additional ways to create revenue. Now, Felix, to you, MSX works with, with a number of automotive brands on the after-sales side of the business working very closely with dealers. How do you see the after-sales business in the dealer world and why is it such a big deal? Unpack that for us, please. Well, it's for similar reasons that Mark uh, highlighted before, right? First of all, it's, it's an important revenue stream for uh, the established OEMs and it's an opportunity to keep interacting with the customer and keep the customer engaging to, during the ownership life, life cycle. And for the dealers, it's, it's an important source of revenue and, and profitability as well. And, you know, and I think because of that, everybody is looking at what type of uh, revenue streams the EVs will, uh, uh, will, uh, will generate. And I think you know, the key question, how speedy will be the adoption on the electric vehicles? Because even if a, when a relatively big adoption rate, even higher than today, it would take a significant amount of time for the part to be converted into EVs. And if you think about the traditional OEMs, right, they are thinking about that balance, right? How they transition their own structure in order to support the, the, an increasing vehicle park on electrical vehicles and maximizing also the opportunities of uh, of the ICE park they have in on board and 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 that on its own is an opportunity but it brings its mm. challenges right having playing both games at the mm. same time so mm. very interesting so mark for a, for a company like Stellantis and and the brands that sit within almost all of them with a large sort of ICE car park as well and then now incoming new EV models for a certain period of time you will have to deal with having to service both ICEs and EVs. Talk to us about, from a service perspective, what makes them so different? Now, we've heard the cliches, 2,000 moving parts versus 20 moving parts. But from a service perspective, what really does that mean and, and how does that impact the business? Okay, well, I think that there's an obvious point that servicing an EV, and, and I'll talk about a pure EV rather than a hybrid, it's a dry operation. So in some respects, a big source of uh, revenue and profit for dealers traditionally in lubricants, which obviously isn't applicable. We've talked about fewer parts, actually a lower labor content as well, particularly in the early years. So I think if you look at the whole service cycle over, let's say, 10 or 15 years, it, it, the shape of that that labour content changes. It's less frequent, as I mentioned before. Perhaps some of the the less obvious things that that we see 
the service schedule gets heavier in later years, particularly in that what, what probably coincides with the second period of ownership, four, five, six years. The high-voltage battery needs certain checks and certain precautionary maintenance. The 12-volt battery system on the vehicle, which takes a lot of load, needs replacement much earlier on, on an EV. And generally more software check, you know, less moving parts, but still a very complex machine. And, and let's be frank, a machine that is evolving rapidly. So, you know, the, the iteration of software is moving rapidly. So a four-year-old car, there's a significant amount to do to make sure it's running and, and getting the best out of its battery. And I guess the thing that we can't forget in all of that, in the difference, and particularly for me with those two parks, as you say, that are running side by side, is the safety aspects and the complexity of, a, of an electric vehicle that certainly from a maintenance perspective, working on these vehicles, if you don't know what you're doing, it's, it's a lethal business. The level of training, the level of tooling and the know-how that's needed is absolutely critical. Whereas I can still just about remember people doing DIY servicing at home. I worked for an aftermarket provider many years ago and it, it was a common practice. You don't want to be doing that with an electric vehicle. It, it will not end well. So there's some big difference. Very interesting points there. Again, the simplistic notion is to treat these two sort of types of vehicles as fundamentally similar, but then having different powertrains. And hence, the easy conclusion to jump to is, oh, it's an EV, it's got fewer moving parts, so it's probably going to require much lower service. But then some of the points you make, Mark, are a little bit unconventional and not something in an individual starts to think about straight away. So some really interesting points there, Mark. Doug, if I want to jump to something that you said earlier as a new emerging brand, where you said you don't have the legacy, it's it's almost a greenfield project. So with that sort of clean sheet of paper, what are the foundations of your after sales business? Where do you see your main sources of revenue and, and profit coming from? Yeah, I tend to look at it as I would like to give after sales a different name for EVs. For me, after sales for EVs should be looked at as an enabler to sell cars and basically an insurance for the brand. Because in the beginning, <clears throat> you still have the basic services. You have parts that need to be delivered. You have the systems to identify the diagnostic, the repair menus. You have the basic services will remain. You still need to have all of that. You need to comply to all the EU regulations, to the environmental regulations and, and stuff like that. And there's also a bit of extra complexity because, yes, we are obliged to take back the high voltage batteries. So what do you do? So you have to have the recycling process for that in place. And so there are a lot of things that are uh, evolving. So and all this adds up to a certain cost. And, and internally, I tried to explain that, well, in the beginning, it's a it's like an insurance for the brand. So you need to make the investments and to be ready to be able to sell cars as a newcomer. And, but this cost per car goes down as time evolves. And I think this is a different way of looking at it, at the business, which leads then also to other conclusions and activities, which I think are very important and uh, put a stronger focus also on after sales as it is versus maybe today, because sometimes today or in, in, the, in the traditional business, I've seen it many times. People tend to, to like the profit, but they don't like the problems <laughs> coming from after sales. So I think that's uh, that's an important change. Do, do you, Douglas, in this transition, you have a head start over some of the some of the traditional manufacturers, or do you feel like you're having to blaze a trail that everyone else is going to just 
copy and follow you on. So in that sense, you're going to have to deal with challenges that others coming behind you won't. How do you see this? I think we, we, we that's an excellent question. I think we have a head start. And so we, as a brand in Germany, we chose to go the agent way. So we have sales agents and, and we use the, the their existing infrastructure to deliver the service. So we were able to create a, a dealer network, a service network at an astonishing speed. And so all the, that's, but it's together. It's sales and after sales. I don't want to talk about it separate because in the end it has to go together. And so there we definitely have a head start because most are now evolving the network into this agent setup, which lowers the level of risk and binding capital for the dealers, which is very important because the whole value chain is changing. But at the same time, and this is, we keep the after sales standards as low as possible. There's no, for me, every dealer has his own interest to have satisfied customers. I don't need to bother him with measuring his customer satisfaction every week. All these over the years accumulated extra activities that have been evolving. This is a task to really take seriously, look at it and say, do we really need it? And so for me, I decided or we decided as a brand, okay, let's go back to the basics. Let's make sure we can fix the car. Let's make sure we can provide diagnostic support, technical support, and then at a very low scale level. So Felix, it, it, it seems to me that we are going through these two transitions almost in parallel. One is the move from traditional ICE vehicles to battery electric vehicles. And that's a big shift in the industry in terms of the nature of the product. And then the second big shift is in the way these vehicles are distributed and, and in the way OEMs manage their relationships with their customers. And and that is this whole uh, transition to the agency model that, that Doug Liff was talking about. How does this shift to the agency model impact the the design of the after-sales business model? And what does it mean from a network perspective? What's your take and how do you see it from your corner? No, it's, it's an interesting question, uh, Jayesh, because at, at least from my experience, the agency model has been applied more on the sales side than the after-sales side. The after-sales is still, and at the best of my knowledge, guys, please feel free to tell me I'm wrong. It's, it's still very much a uh, franchise service network. And... Um, and, you know, it, it impacts a lot in terms of, you know, the agency model is not something new. It's something new for the automotive industry, but probably in, in a larger scale. It's something that's been there forever. And as Douglas said, it reduced the risks for the dealer extensively, but also requires that the OEMs, right, take a more ownership role in terms of managing the customer brand experience and uh, and have and is in the front line because the contract of buying a, a vehicle is not with the dealer anymore, it's with, it's with the OEM directly, right? But so the whole um, thing drives the OEM to become a little bit more closer to the retail, right? And closer to the customer. And that has a lot of implication in the way the OEM operates and uh, and how they see the business. And uh, and we see a lot of customers going into that direction. And, and we are teaming up with several customers developing what they call the BDCs, which is basically platforms that can talk to those customers on a regular base and provide what, uh, what you're considering a, a, a dynamic customer engagement, right? Which is something that is proactive, it is adapted to the customer needs, it is quick, it is multi-channel, it's, it is very important, low effort for the customer, right? The customer does not have to proactively contact us, we are contacting the customer with solutions constantly. So th- this is important and that's a big change in the role of OEMs, dealers and agencies. And somehow that that will that will t- trickle down after sales because 
with that, the OEM is taking the lead and owning the customer from the beginning of the life cycle uh, in the brand, right? And that needs to have an, an impact into the after-sales business, irrespective of whether the after-sales is to a franchise dealer network or a or an agency model. So, uh, I know the truth is that we are still discovering a lot of things there. I think we're all learning in that space, right, if I'm honest, guys. And uh, and it's a journey, right? And we'll keep on learning as we move very ahead. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mark, uh, I'm, I'm very curious and, and keen to understand from you, with, with this shift to EVs, what sort of factors do you list out that will be reductive to your revenue and profit? And what sort of factors do you list out that will be additive to your revenue and profit? And from that, we'll try and pull out some opportunities that might exist in this world that then I'd like to to throw over to Douglas and see what his take is. Okay, I guess the first thing to say, and, and I speak from the position of, of Stellantis with a range of brands with, with, with a, a long ice history, we've got that transition to look forward to. So for a number of years now, certainly in the UK, into the 2030 to 2035 period, we will have EVs that are both hybrid and, and full battery electric until about 2035, albeit the definition of hybrid is not very precise in that crossover period. So we, we have got that, that that crossover. In very simple terms, in my mind, hybrid is actually additive to after sales, that there's more content on a hybrid vehicle for the simple reason that it is both a battery electric vehicle and an internal combustion vehicle. And then when you marry those two together, you, you get a degree of complexity and, and ingenuity to, to engineer those systems. So hybrid has got typically uh, relatively strong after sales content right the way through the life quite smoothly. Clearly, as we've already indicated, full electric vehicles, battery electric vehicles are generally reductive versus the status quo versus ICE. However, that's not universal. So we've talked about for sure that is the case. Um, The vehicles are generally heavier. So that means that tyres, brakes generally will take more wear and tear. So those wear items that perhaps traditionally have happened more in the aftermarket as the vehicles got older, those are big opportunities Software we've talked about, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about more, that's an opportunity. There's no significant data today that says that people crash electric vehicles less frequently. There is actually some data that says for vehicles in the park, an electric vehicle is less likely to crash than an ICE vehicle. My, My theory for what it's worth is that if you look at the owner of an electric vehicle, they're still a relatively expensive purchase. They tend to be older. They tend to be more experienced. They tend to be... Dare I say it more like us, we, we don't have very many 18-year-old tearaways in, in electric vehicles. So, so I think that the crash rate is, is still there, which whilst everybody's working to bring that rate down, it's still a big part of the after-sales business. So, so I think you've got that balance. And, and to a degree, the answer to the question about additive or reductive is about how fast you electrify your park. The, the other point I'd make, which I think is really interesting, and, it, and it's not my area of expertise, but it's something that I'm reflecting on a lot, is that the cost of the vehicle is higher. So the likelihood that it will survive for longer in terms of total loss decisions for, for those uh, listeners that are, that are interested in body repair, the general cost of the vehicle, the residual value will be higher. And the amount of value in the vehicle that the battery represents is huge. And therefore, the dynamics of what happens later in the life of the vehicle will be quite different to, to an ICE vehicle. So I, I think, as with all things, if you do nothing, if you stick to the way you think about the world purely as an ICE proposition, over time you will lose revenue and profit. 
if you adapt and, and reflect on the opportunities that Daglo mentioned and that we've talked, there's clearly some significant upside opportunity in, in the move to electric. So that's a very interesting take and some really profound points there. Daglo, if I want to spin it over to you, again, with your context and I keep saying clean sheet approach, what, what are the two or three most important revenue streams for you in the after-sales business? And I know you, you don't want to call it the after-sales business, so call it whatever you may. But what are the, the sort of main streams of revenue? Is it around software? Is it around data? Is it something else? Talk to us about that, please. Yeah, as I said, the focus for an EV brand is not earning money in after-sales shifting. But what Mark said is fully right. There are opportunities. And uh, if we look at the existing dealer business over the years, many services have been <clears throat> given away to somebody else. Replacing windscreens, uh, tire business has been given away. And, and definitely these are the things that there is a chance, a big chance. It's not only driven by the EVs, but more by the case technology with all the sensors in there and the laser and the, and, and the radar. And so it, it is more complex. So it, And that is what's making the life of independent aftermarket more difficult, which will automatically bring back the cars to the OEM dealers because the expertise, it's in that sense a bit more complex. And, and definitely the knowledge stays with the OEM and it will be difficult for independent aftermarkets versus today to keep up with this development of the various brands. But what's really interesting is we've seen is when I was working in the, my previous brand, Nissan, and we've been selling the Leaf in, in markets for quite a long time. And we saw that actually, even though we had service contracts in place, people didn't show up because they just simply didn't see the need to do the service. Nothing, they, with the recuperation system, you, yes, the car is heavier, but you brake with the engine, you don't brake with the brakes. And, but what we saw is that the, the tear on the tires definitely is increasing and actually more accidents because you have a stronger acceleration. So it's a, we will find, it's a journey. As you said, we will find out the way it's going. Are we going to have really less incidents? I would say so, yes, definitely, but more linked to all the preventive technologies, which are moving into the cars and also are being put there by the uh, regulations. And, but the, once the crash is happening, the cost is likely going up because you have a lot more technology in the car. <laughs> And also, the, it's not sheet metal necessarily anymore, but it's a combination of different materials. So that makes it again. Now. So that's a very interesting theme emerging for me. The value of the content in some of these vehicles, again, is a very different paradigm from what we are used to in an ICE. So Felix, my, my question to you is, with that kind of value and of the content in these vehicles and the kind of complexity that these vehicles come with baked into them. If I was a, a, a network head, if I was a dealer, what are the two or three things I need to do to make sure that my network is ready to be able to handle that kind of complexity, still continue to deliver a, a reasonable profit and deliver a great experience to my customers? What is it that, what are the two, three things that they need to be focusing on today to be ready for this future that's coming? I, th I think obviously is, uh, is on in, in in my view is the the technical skills to to be able to service right and this is tricky because the technical skills are not readily available everywhere and you have really to balance 
again, right, uh, how the adoption will accelerate or not, because you, you cannot have the skills and have them waiting, sitting there. And and you have, the, you have to invest money in, in the structure, equipment. What I find really fascinating, right, if I may go for a question instead of an answer, right, on, on this one, is the whole discussion about whether EV, right, will increase customer loyalty of the franchise dealer network because of the complexity of, uh, of the service and maintenance, the fact that the maintenance happens at a later stage of the vehicle life cycle, right? will retain customers more into the into the uh, retail franchise uh, uh, dealer network of, of the OEM, right? I, f- I find this really fascinating because we are in a space which traditionally, right, customers have relatively low v- lo- loyalty, particularly in the UK, I would say, Mark, right? Uh, affecting it on, on the second or third year. So I'll be interested to know, and maybe in our experience in Nissan, if you saw that happening, because the operation is on tires and tires is really a comp- competitive uh, space will just change tires wherever they want and they really come back to the dealer less often and, and for so the, that's a very interesting question and, and i'd love to hear both our guests point of view and what what your research or your interaction with your uh, network partners and your customers tells you is there likely to be a higher loyalty towards a specific brand or a specific product or a specific network partner because of the nature of the product or are these two completely different things I think what's really interesting, if I might jump in, because I was on mute and I was responding. To. When I was uh, responsible for Mopa, we were investigating the possibility to create a, a mobile service truck with a Ducato with everything. And so we had a prototype, and, but then we were investigating the possibility to actually bring the service to the customer. And we were at that time stopped by the environmental law because in Germany, you can't even wash your car on the side. It's prohibited. Thinking about changing oil, changing liquids and all of this stuff, it has to be in a contained area. So that's what you, where you need a workshop. However, for EVs, you don't need that. So this opens up maybe also new possibilities for mobile services. And I think there are some brands who are executing that already in some markets. In Europe, maybe not yet, but for markets where you, I think, which are centralized, I'm thinking about France, I'm thinking about Scandinavian markets where you have some big cities, but then rural areas where it's difficult for customers maybe to go to a dealership to get a service done. That makes it a lot easier for a uh, dealership to bring the service to the customer. And, and that's opening up an, an entire new scope, I think. I, I often think about this new trend called dark, right? You've got dark grocery stores where there's no storefront. You order on an app and groceries are delivered within 10 minutes. You've got dark kitchens now. So there's no restaurant. There's no seating. It, it's it's a fancy brand and a beautiful menu, but you order on your phone and, and a, it gets delivered within 15 minutes. Do you see that dark sort of trend finding some sort of acceptance in our industry as well, where there's, it's a dark workshop, you never take your car there, but you book a service on an app and somebody comes and fixes your car or takes it away, fixes it and brings it back. And do you, do you see that sort of trend becoming real anytime in the near future? I, I for, for my part, I think we already have that to a degree. It depends how you, how you define it in terms of certainly for some of our brands that the, the willingness of the customer or the convenience to come to the store versus 
having to collect and deliver. So I think there are different ways to present it. Mo- mobile is very interesting, and I think it's an area that we continue to, to look at. And, and as Daglev said, if you take the oil out of it and the, the kind of the, the, the dirty parts of the repair, it, it makes it more interesting. Equally, the health and safety connotations of an electric vehicle, a high-voltage vehicle, <clears throat> to some extent, make it more complicated. But I think, ultimately, I think if I bring it right back to your question about will the technology change the customer behaviour, I think to some degree, I think we have to be careful about the early adopter effect because we know that people that are driving EVs today are relatively early adopters, albeit that's changing and it's changing quite rapidly. And therefore, maybe their attitude to trying new technology or trying new services. But I think if you boil it back, the things that make people stay in terms of great service, proactivity, a 360 offer, those are still the things in the EV world that will bring people back. Whether it physically brings them back or whether we have to go to them, I think is, is a really interesting point to look at. But I think retaining that relationship still relies on the, on those pillars of, that I've just uh, expounded. So I think all bets are off to some degree, but it certainly makes it interesting and it does change some of those you know, kind of barriers to, to, to change that we've got today, maybe. Another element that I find fascinating in this is the, we're talking a lot of electric vehicles, but is the connectivity, which is not only in the electric vehicle. So there's tons of data available now on vehicles and that we can use to predict maintenance or take, take a more personalized approach to the customer driving style, etc. But with that also, maybe, right, with, with, there's a lot of talking about on-the-air maintenance or over-the-air maintenance and things that we can do without a mobile service, but even without the customer moving the car from the car park. And uh, do you guys see an opportunity on that? Or is something that the, the, the OEMs are looking at? And, and can you give us some hint on how things are moving? That? I think definitely OEMs are looking at it and there are OEMs who are doing it today already. The question is whether you are able to charge money for it. I think that's a basic strategic decision that you take as a brand, whether you want to sell it as a package and say, okay, here... Um, you you get the cell phone and you get when you buy mine at maybe an additional cost in the beginning but then for the rest of your life you will always have your software updates that's a brand decision and i think most likely it will from my point of view it will evolve in that direction because people and this is very interesting we see now with our uh, market entry in, in in germany people are purchasing the cars also far away from their home. So they are the, maybe they are early adopters, but in the end, they don't care anymore where's the car coming from. And also, the, I think the last stronghold is still the test drive. Before that, it was the, the five visits in order to understand what car do I want, but that went away. I think the test drives will go away with also the new ways of selling the cars, because also for the customer, you can experience new cars at lower risk. Because if you take an abonnement for six months, there's no risk. You pay the 200, 300 euros per month, you drive the car, and that's it. You try. You give it a try. And so there we see already customer behavior shifting quite quickly. And I think after sales, with the new possibilities, with 5G, with everything that's happening right now at astonishing speed, we will see that happen quickly, I think. Faster than many 
could wish. I'm going to move us all uh, into the final lap of our, our conversation here today. So I'm just going to go around the table, maybe starting with Mark and talk to us about the, the two or three things that are going to be really your focus area at Stellantis, Mark, over the next three to five years, given all of these changes that are... That's quite a broad question. I think two, two or three is a challenge, but I think if I had to distill it down, I, I think... Felix alluded to it earlier on, and, and it's not just a UK specific, but as an OEM, we have two businesses. We, we, we have our first life business through, through our dealer networks, and then we have our, our trade business through the independence. And, and both of those have got significant scope for growth during this phase of transition of the park, and both will, will play different roles. So bringing both of them in, in, into parity in terms of the focus we give them is is, is really important. But before we do that, and basic in anything we do, we have to look at the customer experience. And I think the fact that customers elect to leave us, whether it's leaving the dealer for servicing after two or three years or leaving the network for, for even for more involved operations, clearly there are lots of different things going on there. Some of it is economic, some of it's convenience, as Daglev alluded to. We've got to get better at that. You know, we've got a huge opportunity as Stellantis with over 1,200 points in the UK across our brands to to leverage that geographical reach and, and make sure that the things that need to be different for those brands in terms of the brand experience, we really protect. And an Alfa Romeo customer is very different to, to maybe some of our other brands. However, that we, we leverage that platform, that we have that to sales platform in terms of the way we move the spare parts, in terms of the way that we deploy the training. There's a real opportunity to make a slightly more generic platform that, than we have today where with an internal combustion engine, some of the, the intricacies of learning how to be a master on all of these different vehicles, even within our own brand families, is an art that becomes a little bit more generic in, in, in the world of, of electric. What can't become generic is the customer experience. So we've really got to focus on that to make sure that customers have trust. They've got a reason to come to us that it's easy to, to, to access and as I say, we, we get two bites of the cherry with, you know, but our, our preference is clearly through, through our dealer network because of the margins and the customer journey that that affords. And, and I think the final point I'd make is training. We're, we're on the bait, the verge of a, a big change. You could argue it's already happening. And therefore, we've got to make sure our skills, both internally, the way we think, but those of our network are really attuned to the, the electric generation. And that's, that's going to be quite a lift for some people moving from maybe technology that they learned 20, 30, 40 years ago and learning how the customer's changing as well. So customer retention and training, really important. Very interesting. Very interesting. Douglas, what's your take? What are going to be your sort of major focus areas over the next three to five years? So basically, a general focus is operational excellence. This is and this is valid no matter whether you are ICE OEM or transition OEM <laughs> operational excellence because that creates in the end trust and then value into the brand and leading to you know customer retention, not customer retention but real loyalty and and also towards the dealers you know and i think a way to reach this operational excellence is much much deeper system integration what has been happening over the past 20 years how difficult it was to start to integrate dms to share data to create additional value to automatize certain administrative tasks i think we have to be a lot bolder a lot tougher in some sense to make it really say you have to drill down and, and that's not only the relationship between the OEM and the dealers, 
and the customer. I think especially the dealer network relying today heavily on an absorption rate of 60, 70, 80% of after sales revenue when the A brand moves towards a lineup of 50, 70% EV within the next two or three years, they owe, this network will be hit two years later dramatically. So there's a, an anywhere maybe now a phase of four to five years where maybe in American, we have to get our shit together <laughs> and uh, to really integrate the systems, streamline processes, cut out all the fat and the unnecessary tasks to get ready because it's going to come. It's Amazing. happening. That's a very interesting take indeed. Felix, any closing remarks from your? No, for me, uh, really, really interesting, right? I think I think the na- name of the game is you not know, to, to, to uh, uh, keep the, the, the customer loyal to the brand. If you, we need to keep the customer for longer, and that's reality in EV and also on the ICE because there's a big opportunity on doing that transition for the established OEMs to keep those customers for longer in the chain, and and to do that, the only you know. I think in UK, we tend to say that people leave people. So we need to put ourselves on the shoes of the customer. And I link that to what uh, Doug Leff said about lean, right? When you think about lean, you think about efficiency gains. and But lean is all about focusing on what adds value to your customer, right? And becoming uh, bolder and simpler to operate and easy to do business with and going around all those roadblocks of systems, different DMSs, different databases, different suppliers operating parts of the business, etc., and focusing on what the customer wants at the end. That adds value for the customer in the end. For me, I see a lot of opportunities there. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, uh, I want to thank uh, all of you three gentlemen for joining us today. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you also to, to the listeners. I hope you've taken away something valuable and meaningful out of this interaction. Obviously, feel free to visit our website to know more about all the interesting stuff we do in this space as MSX. So thank you once again. Thank you for joining me and have a good day, all of you. Thank you. All the thank best. You. Pleasure.